Would you turn to Daniel chapter 4? We're going to look at another story in this book of what it looks like to live as God's people in a hostile culture. And this is a really, really strange and unique story we're looking at tonight. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you, and we're going to be looking about two-thirds of the way through, but also there's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot on the screen because we're going to look at this very interesting story that, that uh, inhabits all of chapter 4 of Daniel. So while you're turning there, I want to remind you of the big ideas that we've been exploring each week in Daniel. The stories in Daniel remind us that God and his kingdom are always active and eternal. God and his kingdom are always active and eternal, which is important for Daniel and his friends because if they looked around, they thought that God had abandoned them because they were living under an enemy empire away from their home and their people. But God is still at work in and through them. So it's not only a great reminder for Daniel and his friends, it's a great reminder for us because we have this tendency to get fixated in all the negative, but we need to be reminded, no, 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 God is still at work. God is still at work. Which is that second reminder, no matter how dark it looks, the light is always winning. That's why we pray the way we pray amidst this broken world each and every week because we believe that God will renew all things. And so with that in mind, the third reminder is we're to bear witness to that light as we live as a kingdom alternative in a hostile culture. The kingdoms of of the world value military might and we value peacemaking. The kingdoms of the world value greed and spending and we as kingdom people value sacrificial giving because we believe the kingdom of God is the way to live with God and make a real and lasting difference in the world. Quick side note before we get into chapter 4, you just got to know that we had some glitches last week and we weren't able to record the greatest sermon ever preached from this stage at least, which was the thrilling conclusion to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. I'll just save you the suspense if you missed last week. They made it out. Amen. Hallelujah. God rescued him. Okay? But that brings us right up to speed in chapter 4. Four. One of the major players in each of these chapters in this book of Daniel is a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. Can y'all say Nebuchadnezzar? Have we got that? Great, because on the slide he's going to be King Neb. Just deal with it. Try typing it a lot. It's just hard. So King Neb, okay? What do we know about King Nebuchadnezzar thus far? Well, tonight you're going to see him writing this in the first person, or rather whoever put Daniel together is putting this first person account from this king that we've been introduced to in each of these chapters. We know that he is the king of the largest and most powerful empire of his day. And he didn't just rule over his people, the Babylonian people, he ruled over other peoples that they conquered and then brought into his neck of the woods and said, hey, You're now Babylonians. Is that cool? You're going to live here with me now. Great. And that's what we see in chapter 1. He gets the best and brightest, Daniel and his friends, and then he tries to enculturate them, and he renames them. And then he sees there's something different about them. So in chapter 1, we see that Neb is impressed that their God blessed them. (laughs) She doesn't like Neb. Nebuchadnezzar is impressed that God is at work in these best and brightest that Israel had to offer. 
And then we see in chapter 2 that Nebuchadnezzar is grateful to this Israel God because one of those best and brightest, Daniel, was able to interpret a dream that was really wigging him out. So he's impressed with them, then he's grateful to them, and then last two weeks in chapter 3, we've seen that Nebuchadnezzar is astounded at this strong God we just sang about because he rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the hottest people pizza oven he could have ever devised. So what we know about Nebuchadnezzar is he's this big and lofty king that gets put into contact with a king that just may be bigger and loftier and more powerful than him. What we see in chapters 1, 2, and 3, as he moves from impressed to grateful to astounded, is this sharpening and this progression where Nebuchadnezzar begins to get the sinking and closing in feeling that the God of Israel is not done and that the God of Israel is at work and that, watch out, the God of Israel might start to try to work on him. And that's what we see in Daniel chapter 4. What is God up to? Well, we're going to see that the proud king has an opportunity to turn to God and change his ways. And the lesson that this proud king needs to learn is this. God is able to humble the proud. And I know that doesn't sound really jaw-dropping for you. The first thing you need to know is we're going to finish the rest of that sentence as like one of the last things I'm going to say tonight. But if it doesn't sound so jaw-dropping, just know that you might not be the loftiest person in the world. Because if you're the loftiest person in the world, that should come as shocking news to you. That should come as shocking news to the President of the United States of America. That should come as shocking news to the leader of the Democratic People's Republic of North Korea. Because it puts them into contact with a kingdom that is active and eternal... It puts them into contact with a kingdom that will outlive and outlast any of their strongest threats to put it out. And it should be a reminder to us that we then should live as God's kingdom people in humility, always acknowledging that he is at work even in the enemies, even when we can't see it, even when it's dark. That's what Daniel's about, and that's what we're going to see tonight if you join me in Daniel chapter 4. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to write a letter to all the nations and peoples of every language that he rules over. And I guarantee you, if they went to their little ancient mailboxes, opened it up, saw the king's seal, and heard or read this, they would drop to their knees in laughter and surprise. Because here's the message that he wants to convey to all these people. Look with me. To the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, this is King Nebuchadnezzar talking, may you prosper greatly. It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. Y'all know who he's talking about, the Most High God? We talked the last couple weeks that Nebuchadnezzar had a buffet of tons of gods like everybody else except the Jewish people. They had a million different gods, but now he's convinced that there is one that is higher And it is the Most High God, which is the Jewish people's name for their God. The Most High God. What about him? Verse 3. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. And I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous, living it up. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. 
So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. So when the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream. but They could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God. And the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Now, is this sounding familiar to you, this setup in his letter? If you were paying attention at home in chapter 2, what you found is that he had a dream that freaked him out, and then he called all the king's horses and all the king's men to tell him not just what it means, but y'all remember? What the dream actually was. You remember that? And so then he was so freaked out and so angry that he threatened to like knock down their houses and chop them into pieces until Daniel said, wait, 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 wait. My God actually listened to my prayer and he told me not just what your dream means, but what your dream was. And so you had to think that that got Daniel pretty high up in the king's echelon, right? Well, Daniel came to the rescue the first time, and then he's going to rescue him this time. But look at this incredible description. If you ask King Nebuchadnezzar, what's old Belteshazzar like? He said, oh yeah, he's named after my god, Bel, but what? The spirit of the holy gods is in him. That's an ancient polytheistic king's way of saying something is different about that boy. And the question that it begs for me is this. This enemy, pagan, king, is able to recognize something different about Daniel. And I'm stuck on this question for us. Do others see the spirit of the true God in us? If I were to ask your family, your friends, your co-workers, whoops, is there something different about this person? Or do they look more like Everybody else following the ways of the world. Or is there something about this person in this classroom, in this school, in this office, in this family, in this neighborhood that is palpably and maybe in ways I can't articulate, something is different about that boy. To put it another way, do we make the invisible presence of God visible in our actions? Do we make the invisible presence of God visible in our actions? Because we can talk about the kingdom of God all day long, but our neighbors and our families and this country will not see the kingdom until we live lives as kingdom citizens that cause people to take notice. They can't see what you believe. You can talk all day long, and that's good. That gets you part of the way there. Daniel spoke truth, and we're going to see this later in chapter 4. But Daniel lived in such a way where he was within his Babylonian culture, but he lived in such, such a way that made evident the true Most High God. Are we living, bearing witness to the visible kingdom because the invisible God is at work within us. Back to his dream. One interesting note about this dream is if you're reading the Old Testament, which is the Hebrew Jewish people's scriptures, you would have come across probably what most people think is the oldest book, and it's the book of Job. Y'all have heard of Job? 
Job had a bad, bad, well, let's say few months, to say is an understatement. And so what happened is Job, when he loses everything, his friends come, and rather than console him, they just kind of try to tell him what happened and over-theologize and over-spiritualize. Do y'all have friends like me in your life that want to tell you what's up, you know? Well, he has these friends come, and one of the friends says this that is really fascinating when you think about what just happened with King Nebuchadnezzar in this dream. It's not on the screen, so listen with me in Job chapter 33. God does speak, now one way, now another, though no one perceives it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on people as they slumber in their beds, he may speak in their ears and watch, terrify them. Did Nebuchadnezzar say he was terrified? He may speak in their ears and terrify them with warnings. Why? To turn them from wrongdoing, and look, keep them from pride. To preserve them from the pit, their lives from perishing by the sword. So now Nebuchadnezzar is in contact with Daniel. The Spirit of God is within him. He notices something's different. Daniel comes to him, and he says, I'm terrified. I've got this dream, and God is going to use Daniel to say, here's why. God wants you to get sharply into focus that you better change. Because look, Job says God gives men like you visions and dreams so that you would turn from your pride and be saved from the pit and be saved by perishing from the sword. So he says, listen up, dude. God can even work in you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Does God want to help the king that's been threatening and oppressing God's people? Does God want to rescue ISIS? Does God want to rescue Kim Jong-un? Can God move and humble and work in even them? This is the part where God's people shake their head yes. Because there but by the grace of God go I, you, and everyone else down marching the road of pride and violence and rebellion. But Jesus rescues us and brings us into the fold. And so remember this, that God loves the ones you love even more than you do. Remember that God loves the ones that we could never imagine deserves it. And God has rezoned our neighborhood, like we say in this church. Everyone, enemy, friend, mother, daughter, son, uncle, second and third and fourth cousin or neighbor that lives next to you or neighbor that lives in the Middle East. Everyone is a neighbor you're called to love as yourself. Daniel and God love King Nebuchadnezzar. And so we get to the dream. Daniel's in the right place at the right time, and God's going to use him. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to get the idea pretty quickly that God is going to try to rescue him. The dream is described in verses 9 to 18. We're going to flash it on the screen, but we've got a long way to go. So I'll just tell you that as you follow along in your Bibles and on the screen... Nebuchadnezzar is going to detail the dream, and he gets Belteshazzar, the chief of magicians, and he says, I know the holy gods, the spirit of the holy gods are in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here's my dream, interpret it for me. 
So he describes this dream with this enormous tree. He says the tree goes from the bottoms of the earth to the tops of the skies. He says that you could see it from anywhere in the world. And he says its branches extended from one end to the other. And he said all these animals and birds were being fed and nourished and nurtured by this tree. And life was beautiful in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And in Nebuchadnezzar's day, a tree was often a symbol in all different kinds of religions for a king that would protect and provide for his people. So, so far, so good, right? Well, then there enters this messenger. It's the only time this word messenger is used. And it seems to be this kind of angel. And the angel's going to say, party's over. Is there some underage drinking here? Everybody clear out. Just making sure you're listening. He doesn't say that. No, what he says is, in effect, party's over. He says, you need to cut down this tree. And so what happens is, all the birds, all the animals, everything scatters. And then he says, by the way, all this fruit, don't need it. And he says, cut it down. And then this strange thing, he says, like, bind it up. And it's, no one's really sure what it means except to say, like, look, like, this stump that's left, like, ain't nobody going to use it. And it can't be useful. And then there's this strange thing when he's talking about the dream. The pronouns shift from it, as in the tree or the stump, to he. So Nebuchadnezzar's talking about this dream. And then he's going to hear from Daniel. But before we get to him hearing from Daniel, before we get to the interpretation, I want to tell you a different story. And I want you to hold on and see where it connects in just a moment, okay? I want to tell you about an organization that started in London in 2003. There's a man named Les Isaacs who is concerned about two things. The first thing he was concerned about is the amount of gang violence in some of the lower income, harder neighborhoods on the streets of London after dark. And then he was also concerned about the amount of drinking, drugging, and assaults in some of the nightlife neighborhoods, like our lower Greenville or Uptown or what have you, again, after dark. That was the first thing he was concerned about, these streets that were tough that you wouldn't walk down by yourself, okay? Second thing he was concerned about was this, the amount of Christians in these same neighborhoods that filled church pews on Sundays, but wouldn't touch those streets on Saturdays with a 10-foot pole. So what he did was he said, there's this disconnect of the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. And so the street pastors were born. And so they were Christians who were trained and then sent out between 10 p.m. and 4 a.m. Because y'all know, ain't nobody lit and wild at 9.30 unless they really jacked up. But you got to really like go in the deep night if you want to see some deep stuff. And so they were trained, and they wore these jackets with this big reflective tape you see in the photos that say street pastor. And they were trained to do many things, but primarily it fell under this umbrella. All you got to do, street pastor, is care, listen, and help. Care, listen, and help. So what they did is they distributed water bottles to people who'd had too much to drink. They distributed flip-flops to ladies who were sick of their high heels or men who were sick of their cowboy boots. Then they even distributed these things called spikies in London, which went on the tops of your drinks that prevented people from slipping drugs or date rape 
pills into their drinks. Why? Because they wanted to care for these people. Because they wanted to help these people. And when they encountered the homeless folks, they had these space blankets. They would get them to shelters. They would get them out of the cold. They would get them first aid. They would connect them to medical help. They would help these people in the nightlife areas find their friends, find their phones, find Ubers and rides. But they were a kingdom presence in a place that there was no kingdom presence. Daniel was a kingdom presence where there would not have been a kingdom presence had he not been exiled and brought to this place. So let's get back to the dream. Nebuchadnezzar needs help. In Melbourne, Australia, they had a new nightlife district that they closed off to streets. And so between 10 and 4 a.m., it was Buck Wild MTV Spring Break style. And so what happened is the city council tries this and they try that. They ask these people and they ask that. And finally, they're at their wit's end and they're out of ideas. And they go to a group of pastors. The city government goes to a group of pastors. And they say, hey, what can we do? And this is so great because I'm a pastor who meets with a lot of pastors. And I feel like this is something that could have run through one of our meetings. Let's have a concert. Let's set it up. And let's bring all the best top-notch Christian bands. And, you know, that'll just kind of like, that'll just be awesome. And they said, okay, great. When are you going to do that? Let's try the first one at 7.30. That way we can all wrap it up and be done by 10. And they said, ain't going to work. And then one pastor in Melbourne or Australia had heard of the street pastor and said, no, 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 let's do this. But here's the connection. The question at the intersection of street pastors, municipal governments, and the Babylonian kings is this. Are we ready to meet the needs of the world when they knock on the door of the kingdom? King Nebuchadnezzar had earlier said, I was contented, I was rocking and rolling, I had this palace, I had this empire, I had everything I needed, but I had this dream and I couldn't get it out of my head and I needed help. When kingdom people intervene... I think the world takes notice of the spirit at work, which is why things like the street pastors is now international and why they don't go out and Bible bash people, but they kind of do what Jesus did and move into the neighborhood and be a kingdom presence in the small mustard seed ways that leads to life and growth. And I think Daniel had this mustard seed experience of being in this difficult and hostile place, but he had a kingdom opportunity in this moment Because he had been a kingdom presence for the long haul when anybody else would have bailed. I would have snuck out of Babylon a long time ago. But in our summer reading book, Embrace, how many of you guys read Embrace? You remember God's radical peace, shalom for a divided world? There was something that I won't forget. That book is all about embracing difficult places and difficult people. And he always talked about Babylon so it would be cool to like go back and thumb through that and see how much resonates with what we're jiving with in Daniel. But in that book, he quotes Dr. John Perkins, who is the founder of the Christian Community Development Association. He's given his life to developing under-resourced, impoverished, and violent neighborhoods in Mississippi and California. And Dr. John Perkins said that before you move anywhere, ask yourself prayerfully if you're willing to stay there for 15 years at least. And that just hit me like a ton of bricks because I think in DFW, we, we, because we drive 30 minutes to work and many of us 30 minutes to church, 
like, we're, we're just transient, you know? And I rent a house, I don't own a house, so like, I'm here as long as I can be, but I, I might not be able to be there for 15 years. And you might not be able to be where you're at for 15 years. But would you go with the kind of heart that sounds like Jeremiah? When he wrote in chapter 29, verses 4 to 7, hey, when you're going into exile, would you stay there? No, 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 I want to leave. It's too hard. He says, no, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Hello? Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. You know the thing about gardens? They take a long time. (laughs) And then in verse 7, also seek the peace, what? And prosperity, what? Of the city to which I've carried you into, what? Exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. What does it look like for you to have a kingdom presence in your neighborhoods of influence for the long haul? Because when you are there for the long haul, you earn the right to when they come knocking, you earn the right to be heard. You earn the right to be a blessing. And I think that that's something for our church too. We've just surpassed two years meeting in this space. And it's hard to be present in this neighborhood when you don't own a building. It's hard to be present in this neighborhood when your sign is only out there for one day a week, the big one. It's hard to be present, which puts all the more emphasis on us when we do things at The Rock and we do things in Halloween to really leverage those opportunities to care, listen, help, to be street pastors in our own way. Not just to gather in here, but to scatter out there. And the same goes for you in your schools. The same goes for you in your jobs. The same goes for all of us in our neighborhood. Because when the world comes knocking, we'll be able to introduce them to the one who can meet the needs that they may not have even known they were searching for. Do you know that King Nebuchadnezzar didn't want God to humble him? He didn't think he needed God to humble him. But when Daniel gives him the interpretation, he was scared too. Because he remembered that this king was the one who had like threatened him and his whole family. He knew that this king was the one who threw his buddies into the people pizza oven. He was afraid, but he was still able to speak truth and interpret this dream and to be a blessing even to this enemy. In verse 24 of chapter 4, after he retells the dream, and explains to him the messenger and the tree and this kind of thing. He says, this is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree that the Most High has issued against the Lord my King. You will be driven away from people, and you will live with the wild animals. This is the part where everybody else I know that has a Twitter account and Facebook would have dogpiled King Nebuchadnezzar in his fall from grace. Because what he's saying, Daniel, the exile, King Nebuchadnezzar, if you don't turn, you're going to be exiled. But rather than gloat, he says this in verse 27. I'm not just going to call you out. I'm going to call you up to a better behavior. Renounce your sins by doing what's right and your wickedness by what? Being kind to the oppressed. That it may be that then your prosperity will continue. 
Daniel doesn't ignore the king's behavior, but what he does is he brings it to light. And that is his pride, thinking that he's the end-all, be-all. And he exposes that you've been oppressing the poor. And I tell you, if you read the Old Testament, the thing that God just has immense patience with, but he really doesn't like, is that these kings are constantly mistreating the poor. This is the problem with God and, and, and the, our faith. He's always loving the people that no one else in our culture loves. And that's why he's calling us to bear witness to that kind of kingdom and love them too. So he's really put out when kings misuse their power and their resources. So here's what happens. He's going to give him this whole thing on a silver platter. Look, you got to repent, which is a change of mind that leads to a change in action. And you've got to renounce your ways and actually treat these people nicely. And then look at verse 28. All of this happened, and he got the dream, and he got the interpretation. God lays it out there and says, look, dude, you got to humble yourself and treat these people right. Twelve months later, okay, God gives him a year, okay? Like, how many of you have had a dream, and God says, do this? And you say, yeah, that's cool. See, in a year, dog, I ain't doing none of that. If you had a dream... And someone had to come and interpret it, and it's like, do this? As slow of a learner as I am, I'm at least going to try. Twelve months later, he asked this dangerous question. Strolling on his roof, which is a way of saying like he's surveying all this stuff. And he says, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power? And for the glory of my majesty, boom, it says, even as the words were on his lips, he hears a voice and it says this incredible and strange thing. Look, your authority has been taken away from you. You'll be driven away from the people and you'll live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox and seven times will pass until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Guess what, Neb? Your dream came true. And you ain't going to Disney World. There are ancient accounts of kings losing their minds and having to take steps back. Nebuchadnezzar has some gaps in his history. So what we do know is that they probably didn't want to record these embarrassing details. But the reason that this gets written down is to convey this. God's able to humble the proud. Not so that we can gloat, but that so they can change. This is the deal. When someone falls from grace, see the news of all the sexual harassment issues. I'm not going to ignore that behavior. That behavior is repulsive, and it's anti-kingdom. And they had plenty of time to repent. So ultimately what happens is they receive the consequences for their actions. The rug gets swept out from underneath. Because what happens to someone when they hit rock bottom? They finally, God willing, get the opportunity to look around and say, Oh my gosh, what a mess I've made. Nebuchadnezzar had one full year. So don't read into this story, God is the cause of mental illness. God, you know, is vengeful and he wants humiliation. No, God wants humility 
Because what Daniel said is, if you want to keep being prosperous, understand that it's God that gave you all this stuff, not you. So the dangerous question that got him to the straw that broke the camel's back was, isn't this awesome, everything I've done and I've given and I've received? No. That pride builder will kill us. Look what I've done. Look how much money I've made. Look how healthy I am. Look how good I look in my new Target shirt. Sometimes it's hidden. We don't have to walk around our roof like Nebuchadnezzar. We take for granted what we've gotten. We forget that it's not been gained, but it's been given. God blessed us. I have a new car this week, and I've been driven that 2003 green machine for a long time. And for me, this is a big deal. And I'm just going to tell you, as many times as I've blown it, like, I just walked around my neighborhood after we bought it, and I was just like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And this practice I had of a gratitude walk, I just tried to pray a list of the thank yous that we pray in this church, like every step, until I came back home. Because it just snapped into my focus again, like, I, like, This is God's money. Robert Vaughn has always reminded me, man, when he's so sacrificial and generous and when you and Kara and all these people, when you guys give and we ask you to give a lot in this church, you give with cheerful hearts because you realize it's God's money, it's God's stuff, and it's going to God things. It doesn't disappear into all these sweet lights. We did buy those. I'll show you our budget. Like, that's it. Sorry. We can't even get a bulb for our projector. <laughs> we we want to give more than a tithe. We give about 25-30% beyond our doors. Like we don't even sniff it. Like it goes to Russia, it goes to the Middle East, it goes to Juarez, it goes down the road. We like be, because y'all give us what God's given you. And so who are we to say look at all this stuff that we built? We need to be people who realize that God's able to humble the proud, even us, not so that we can gloat, but that so we can change. God isn't after humiliation. He's after humility because what makes a difference in the world is when the kingdom of God comes in all these subtle ways through being a kingdom presence, through the light that's growing in dark places, to be a people who care and help and listen, to be a people who are obedient in the difficult places for the long haul, and to realize that each day God's not done with us and he's still giving you things. So may we be humble enough to change with gratitude each day that God's not done with us yet. We come to the very end of chapter 4. And finally, Nebuchadnezzar, as we say goodbye to him in these stories, he says in verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, Because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. He could have railed against God for being an ox, mentally ill person out there, but he says, no, he was right. 
Because I was mentally ill when I was oppressing the poor and being proud. And then finally, those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So that we can change for his glory and our good. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Lord, we are so grateful that you're at work in us. We're grateful that you're at work through us in our community. Would we be faithful to you and walk humbly before you so that your light can shine through us. In Jesus' name, amen. And now, Lord, would you allow the truths we have heard penetrate our hearts and transform us to be more and more like Jesus in all that we think, say, and do. We carry you in. <clears throat> we carry you in outside these doors asking to be your disciplines in a broken world. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of our Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Go in peace and in his love.